You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Langston Khan, this week. I'm a senior teacher of the Cycle Teachings, and I've been hosting a multi-part series on Why Shamanism Now about the cycle of transformation, the four-year training process uh, in which you become a spiritual adult, dismantle the false self you created as a child to survive, and step into a deep relationship with your purpose and your authenticity. So we'll start out with some prayers today. I call out to your good, true, and beautiful ancestors and mine, those luminous ones who hold all the medicine in our line, those ancestors who lived well and died well and met the challenges of their time so that we could meet the challenges of ours. I call it also to those non-human ancestors that dreamed our ancestors into existence. All of our relations, those plants and animals and elements and forces of the cosmos. And also the spirits of the land, the land that shaped our people. Help us, please, to surrender to our own true nature and embody it in the world in a way that serves life. And with that, we give gratitude also to the earth and the wonder of its dreaming and all of its diversity of manifestation. We extend that gratitude down to the center of the earth, deep at that core of true yin energy, that place that draws its power from rest and darkness and restoration and nourishment and replenishment, that place of stillness and solitude and silence. And from there, we draw up all of that wisdom of manifestation of how to create things, how to co-create our reality in a good way on this planet. And we also draw up from that place this energy of home and belonging, this sense of belonging to our ancestors, our people, belonging to the time we chose to come in to meet the needs of this time belonging to this larger human family that we are all part of. Let us also draw up a deep sense of responsibility. Let the earth help us to learn how to step into true spiritual adulthood so we can stop allowing the new ones, the children, to be born without elders. We reach up from that deep rootedness into the earth to the highest power of the universe And by whatever name we call it, we draw down those energies from above of protection, blessing, generosity, and purification. And as these two legendary lovers merge together within us, the heavens and the earth, the above and the below, we take a moment together just to remember that each moment is an opportunity for us to move 
as an expression of this vast love and to move our unique love into the world through being in relationship with these vast energies. May we have all that we need to share our unique love with the world in the form of the unique gifts of our soul's purpose so that the ones who are coming will be able to build upon the gifts we have shared and share their own beauty with the world. And as we move our gifts into the world, may we be in a right relationship with visionary and enchantress. May we learn to vision well as we co-create our reality and take responsibility for our specific unique thread in the vast weave of the great dreaming. May we learn to tell the truth to ourselves and to others. May we learn to deeply honor our true nature and learn what that feels like to be in that home of our true nature where we are most comfortable and allow that to be a foundation for all of our expression in this life. And may we be in right relationship with our ancestors and to those unresolved ones, those ones who are stuck, may we help them to move on and heal the patterns that got them stuck in our lives. We can then change those patterns in our own lives and bring the full blessing of their medicine into the world. We honor you and we thank you. Please be with us now. May what needs to be said be said. It needs to be heard be heard. And may this go forward in a way that serves all living things. So last week we talked about year three, where we begin to dismantle a lot of the stories we carry about what it means to be a man or a woman in this culture, and which ultimately are stories that limit our power and limit our access to the full breadth of our divinity and all its complexity and uniqueness and beauty. And as we clear out those stories and begin to move into that visceral felt sense of I am one with all things, to feel that vast love weaving in everything and in ourselves in a very concrete, grounded way, we start to scrape up against some other stories that are also limiting our ability to express our power in the world. And many of these stories have their root in the unresolved energy of the dead of those who are our ancestors, but not true ancestor helping spirits yet. Those who are essentially ghosts, people who died without reconciling their lives and without someone to help them do that reconciliation once they had lost their ability to co-create reality because they no longer had a body. And so, um, as many of you have heard in other podcasts, and if if this is like a brand new concept, to you, you might want to check out some of the other podcasts in the archive on whyshamanismnow.com about ancestors and why it's important to heal our lives. But just to give a brief foundation just for this episode, what we come to realize, again, as we're working to free up our power, is that we're stuck, we're mired in the energy of the unresolved dead because they're trying to hijack our free will, our ability to co-create reality, to reconcile their lives, but they don't know how to reconcile their lives. They're still stuck making the same decisions they made that led to them dying unreconciled. 
due to the unique challenges of their time that they were not able to meet. And so we then tend to replicate those patterns and you see them snowballing down the generations, getting worse with every generation. And so in year four, we learn to start actually taking responsibility for that mess in a sense and learning how we can move into the realm of the ancestors to work with the unresolved ones and find the root of the pattern that led to them becoming unresolved, the first ancestor that started that problematic pattern and resolve it there with that ancestor and then pull it out of the lineage and in doing so free us as the living to make new choices in our life and change these patterns that previously might have felt like a wave continuously overtaking us. Like we would we would do all the personal work in the world and we would just come out of the pattern and then it would it would come right back down over our heads again, crashing on us. And so once and that's because this pattern is actually rooted in the ancestors and not in us. There's only so much we can do when we're not working there at the root. And so once we've cleared that pattern thoroughly with the dead, we then are free to make a new choice in our lives. And so another part of year four and year three, to some extent, is learning how to take responsibility for the fact that we are always manifesting. We are manifestation machines as human beings of the body on this earth because we're all part of the great dreaming and have the power to dream and co-create reality. So the question becomes, what dream are we manifesting? Are we manifesting a dream or a nightmare with our lives? And this piece is really essential to understand what it means to craft a vision for our life that allows us to be authentic and live our soul's purpose, what it really means to actually do that. Understanding it's a little more complicated than it might sound on the surface in some ways. And learning how do we craft a dream for our lives, a vision for our lives to guide us that's not only in service to our destiny, to our purpose, to the thread of our great dreaming, but also to the whole great dreaming um, of all life, the vast love of life, the next seven generations. How do we weave dreams that aren't just good for us right now, but will be good for many generations to come? Which, of course, we brings us back to the ancestors because they're the best teachers of how to do that because especially the ones that are unresolved because once they're healed, they know better than anyone the price that you pay when you are only dreaming for your own life and not also looking to the next generations. So now I'd like to introduce our two guests today. We have Richard and Jane. And Jane is also a senior teacher of the cycle teachings. And she just was helping to um, assist and teach at the last year four gathering, which is called Laying the Bones to Rest and Birth of the Visionary. And Richard was a student of that retreat. So I'm really excited they're both here to share with us some of their experiences. So I'd like to start out by just asking both of them if you could share with us a little bit about what made you each uniquely decide to enter the cycle teachings way back when. Maybe we can start with Eugene. 
Sure. Thank you, Langston. So good to be here. Um, I entered the cycle teachings coming for the most part off of a year doing uh, a shamanic training, a, a year long, so it was complete after a year, uh, training in Peruvian shamanism. And so I had really felt a sense of coming home when I entered uh, that shamanic cosmology. Um, I was really moved by the practices and it felt like I could recognize really deep in my bones that um, that, that kind of intimacy with spirit and with others and with myself that I experienced through those practices was really what I was called in this lifetime to just continue to grow. And so to be totally honest, when I moved to Portland and I went to Christina's journey circle, I had no intention of doing any more shamanic training. I couldn't imagine that there would be anything more um, than this beautiful medicine. And I went to a monthly journey circle and I was I, I kind of had to reckon with um, with that sense of being cooked um, because encountering Christina's uh, method of teaching, her call in, and specifically it was the way she called in spirit and the way she formulated journey questions. Because in a journey circle, that's really all we were doing. She wasn't teaching that much. But just in those two things, I could tell there was such an intimacy with spirit and I felt that longing for more. And I began to realize that there was more and yet I still didn't want to do this four year training. It sounded like so much. And I couldn't quite believe that, you know, that I would, it would have more to offer me than I'd already been given. And so I continued to, to just go to this monthly journey circle and, and attend that, um, and at some point, I remember asking Christina questions, and she sort of referred to pieces of the year, the four-year cycle teachings. And she said, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I was asking her about basic discernment and knowing whether something is real or not. And she was like, well, you know, in the four-year training, we have this concept of a truth cord. And she said it totally... Um, just like, you know, for your information, there's this concept of a truth cord. But what I heard was, Jane, you are missing out. There are some fundamental practices that are out there that would help you live the life of your heart that you're longing to live and still don't feel like your life is matching what your heart wants and what your heart is here to experience. And, and still that wasn't enough um, to start the cycle <laughs> and um, there was another moment um, where I, similarly I asked her a question and she referred to, to, to the four-year training and she said, well, what it's really about in the four-year training is we learn practices. And I think that was the moment where I realized that it was the proof of practice that I needed. It was a devoted, committed practice and really set of practices and to be able to skillfully choose and use the practice I needed in a given situation. And I, I knew deep in myself in that moment that if I could learn more practices, I could create the life that my heart really wanted to be, uh, to be leading. And so then I signed up. 
Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I love that that journey of feeling that we've really arrived somewhere and, and it being authentic, that we really have experienced a deep transformation in our life and a deep new level of richness in our life. And then realizing that perhaps there's a little bit of a bubble we're in and there's actually a great, even greater breath of life that now we're open to experiencing and engaging in. Uh, and, I, and I really also appreciate that uh, emphasis on practice, that, that real rich set of tools that we get in these teachings that allow us to live a deeply engaged life of intimacy with spirit within the chaos of contemporary humanity, not often some retreat center or jungle somewhere. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. So Richard, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Well, thank you, Langston. Thank you for having me on board today. I appreciate that very much. Um, my beginning story was kind of typical as an American male. By the time I was in my middle life, I knew um, this isn't working. The, the, the patterns that I had learned and the, the things I had studied just weren't complete. And so at that juncture of my life, I dove into Eastern medicine and became an acupuncturist and started studying Taoism and the yin-yang balancing principles, which was beneficial. I really still enjoy that philosophy and that those teachings. And I think Qigong was what really changed my life because it did give me a practice that I've had over 20, 25 years now. And, and that does has changed things for me. <clears throat> but then the magic happened when I bumped into Christina and saw a whole new world of, of intimacy, which my study in acupuncture didn't give to me. It, it in some ways, completed that yin-yang balance, connecting with her and having her as part of my life but the little mind I had kept saying, don't, she has such a great practice and community, don't interfere, don't ruin it. So for a handful of years, I just ran my acupuncture practice and she ran the community. And at a fire ritual, it came to me that we needed to build a center for her, the community. And at that point, I felt it was odd that I was not a part of the community. And so I asked her if I could come into the cycle teachings and, and experience those so that I could understand where the community was coming from as being part of it. And all I can say after completing Birth of the Visionary the other month, um, I'm still processing. I, the four years have been amazing of what they've <clears throat> brought forward and, and brought into my reality of, of connection to spirit and, and how that's wrestling with my mind right now. Um, and teaching me how to feel spirit and know spirit 
and count on spirit for my day, my dreams, my manifestations, and and let my mind relax a little bit. And I don't think there would have been any other way that I could have come to this space myself. Um, it was a little scary going into bones because I don't really, I know one of my four ancestors in real time. And so there's a lot of hiddenness in my ancestral lines. So it's a little nervous for me to uncover that and, and see what I see. But going through bones and birth of the visionary, it's, it's relaxed that state and knowing that I can work with them and, and resolve and heal those pattern streams. And so I, I'm just beginning to learn that in my daily life and daily practice. But um, putting all four of these elemental energies together um, has really op- opened my heart, opened my connection to spirit, and um, I, the future looks great. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I think what, what you shared helps also to illuminate a little more of that that intimacy with spirit that Jane was talking about, this, this real deep commitment and just fact of life of consciously co-creating with spirit to create our lives regularly um, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And so, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I also appreciate you sharing some of your fears going in about maybe not knowing a lot of your ancestors and not being sure it was going to be turned up in that big uh, place of the unresolved ones. And so I would love to, if you, Jane, could speak a little bit about some of your expectations going into the retreat of year four, back when you were moving through it, um, about ancestors and the dead and visioning, and, and maybe just also a little bit about your experience transitioning out of year three into year four. Sure. Um, so by year three, I was beginning to experience some of the freedom of being able to really hear my own heart and, and actually act on it. Um, it's, I had, that had been part of what called me to shamanism was a sense of being sidetracked whenever I tried to act on my own, um, passion. And so in year three, by year three, I was able to, to resolve some of that. And, and I, I remember having a just intuitive sense that my ancestral lines were affecting me and that I needed to do healing work on behalf of my ancestors. Um, I am an only child. Um, I have no first cousins and there's that can contribute to a sense of the unresolved ancestral burden being more sort of clearly or potently felt on, on someone's shoulders. If they have that sort of, um, lack of siblings and cousins. Um, and I was feeling it. And as we going into bones, I was getting headaches and I just knew this is, this is the burden. Like, this is what it feels like when I start to approach 
these issues, um, there's a deep heaviness, a deep sadness, a deep loneliness. And I think I'm going to be able to get at it um, in a new way and at a new level. And have, coming out of year three and this, this year of stepping into power and, and leadership and that inner, inner leadership, for me meant stepping more with intrinsic motivation rather than extrinsic motivation, rather than performing. Um, and so I, I felt deeply called to use that freshly opened up intrinsic motivation to step into the ancestral work wholeheartedly. And I arrived at Bones quite determined to do everything I could to heal my lines and heal my life. Um, and I remember, I remember that depth of commitment really clearly. Beautiful, thank you. Um, and I'm, uh, is there anything else you would like to share, Richard, about any other expectations you have in addition to the fears you already shared? I think one thing was important for me going into Bones was the was the pre-Bones journeys. <clears throat> we went in to discover our, our non-human ancestral helping spirits. And when I was taken out into the cosmos, I met a being that wasn't more of an energy field and started communicating with it. And I, I wasn't sure which line this was for me at all. And so I asked a question about the one line I knew a little bit about in, in real time. And the answer I got was, well, we're not that young. Those guys were a bunch of knuckleheads. So I, I said, well, how do I, how do I invest in, and and have security that you will be there for me and all of a sudden the whole cosmos lit up with these energy beings it was amazing and and so it sent me out of the journey with just this compassion and knowing that that i'm held that that they are really there in full force waiting for me to act and so it just launched me into year four with a real um, solid base to open it up and see what happens and, and not get deterred by any unknown fears that I might have. And I just thought that pre-Bones jury journey was very important. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it's one of the ancestors are a kind of helping spirit that really like that request to when we say, okay, so prove it, prove that you're here, prove that you actually, you know, are with me and this is real. Um, I think they usually, you know, respond by saying, hold my beer, you know, and, and do something pretty, pretty um, moving and, and heart opening to, to their existence and their truth. And in my experience, like for and the story I've shared a few times before publicly is that, my first ancestral ritual really um, was back when I was in a Wiccan coven many years ago, we were having a Samhain ritual and a medium at the ritual became uh, channeled, channeling my, my grandmother. And 
the first thing she said to me was, don't believe everything you've heard about me. <laughs> and it was funny because I had the medium had no idea who my grandmother was or anything about her, but I had heard a number of stories that weren't very favorable to her um, because she did have some, some challenging or difficult aspects of her personality and challenging and difficult relationships with her children. Um, and so to just feel her presence there and her saying, don't believe everything you've heard about me was a huge wake up for me. And then even more so within a week of that ritual, my parents called me at the time I wasn't living at home. Um, I had graduated from college a couple of years ago and I was, I was in my own apartment in the city and they, they were moving and they called me to say, oh, we just um, found this letter in this old box that says for Langston when he writes his book. And it was from that grandmother who had come down during that mediumship ritual and it detailed seven generations of ancestors in my line and little stories and tidbits and anecdotes about them. Information I had no way of accessing before that because my, my dad, it was on my paternal line, didn't really remember a lot of those stories or names. And so I feel like when we reach out and we're asking for help, to do work with our ancestors, particularly the well ones, they reach back pretty quickly in my experience. And they're just sort of waiting for us to start paying attention and being a little more conscious in that relationship. So I appreciate you, you sharing that, that very visceral experience you had, Richard, just feeling that love that's there and present and available for you. Wow, Langston, that's an amazing one. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, sort of in the same line of questioning, I'm curious, just when you finally got there at the retreat, what was both of your experiences like? And I'm happy for you to share the experience at your actual retreat, Jane, when you first took the retreat. Any other experiences you want to share about when you were more in a teaching or assisting role as well? I... What I remember, so I took bones for the first time several years ago now, and um, probably close to five. And what I, I still viscerally remember so much about that week, um, I've often referred to that week at bones as being one of the best weeks of my life, because after the first day and we learned our practice for clearing and healing unresolved ancestral patterns at the root and the degree to which I felt it in my body is with me to this day. And I still draw on that feeling when I want to feel connected to spirit. Specifically, what happened was that after the first day's work, um, I was walking from the kind of meeting gathering room up through the land in, in Washington state to the, you know, to go to dinner. And I was walking on my own and at all of our retreats, perhaps you all have touched on this already Langston, but we build shrines to each of the elements, earth, air, fire, and water to be able to interact and build relationships, to ask for help and to offer our gratitude to those incredible energies. And we had set up the shrines to be along this path and so as I walked the path, I encountered earth and fire and air and water 
it felt like for the first time. And I remember thinking, oh, like this is what others perhaps have been feeling all along. But now I know in my body, I can feel the tingle or the freshness, the love of air. I can feel the movement of water. I can feel myself, actually my felt sense knew I was connected to the elements for the first time in my life. And as it turned out, those unresolved ancestral energies had been blocking and keeping me from that depth of actual energy, physical intimacy. And it's, um, it really, it changed me forever. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, we actually haven't spoken much about the, those elemental shrines, which are a really big part of all of the retreats. That part of what holds the container of the retreat and the container of our larger community is both the shrines that we're tending on behalf of the elements throughout the retreat um, as individuals and as a group. And then also the fact that in the community, we have a council of shrine tenders who are tending the relationship with the elements on behalf of the community. So we're also feeling that larger container holding us and deepening our ability to be in intimate relationship with the elements as well. And so I love that just after one day of starting to do some of the ancestral clearing work in the teachings, you already, your whole life was changed. Your whole engagement with the building blocks of reality that the elements are was completely altered forever. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So Richard, what was your experience like at laying the bones to rest? This fourth year brought so much to me um, in relationship to the four elements and and the spirit behind each one. Um, and I guess what what I would say is is the, as Bones workshop happened and my clearing calls happened, what started happening to me was the Enchantress started showing up. And that's an, it's an avatar that I don't really have a relationship with. Um, and, and I'm still learning that relationship. But what it gave to me was a, a sense, a feeling um, that I took into Birth of Visionary, and it's still teaching me, especially the relationship with the trickster, about about softening, about um, s- surrendering to the energies around me that I cannot control and don't want to more focus in on my own energy stream and what I can control and, and vision. And so just the tools that were brought forward in reconciling at bones, the energy ancestral lines, 
and the dream tool of birth of visionary. And then even vision, even journeying for a cohort for their power object was um, real. Um, it brought it into, into, into a tangible concept of, of reality for me uh, of that knowing that um, those exchanges and those connections with spirit, even though not seen, are real and tangible in the physical realm. And I, I think that was the piece that that really pushed me forward of knowing and and endorsing and what i can say is that that through the the relationship with the enchantress and and that connection to trickster it really showed me a little bit about my um deficiencies i would say more in in the south and the west of the death and and crazy woman where those energies i'm not bringing up to balance in my life well enough so that they can function well for me and just that awareness of all four of them trying to work together and be in balance is is what's still churning in me and still teaching me so that my belief and my knowing is that at one point I will have all four of those in a really cohesive balance. And I don't think it could have happened without um, the fourth year with Bones and Birth of Visionary and that relationship with Enchantress. I think that really opened up all four directions. For me, anyway. Thank you. Yeah. And so to, to share a little bit more context with our listeners, at each year of the cycle, there are two primary archetypal teachers that govern the teachings, in addition, in addition to helping spirits and other energies that are at play, like the elements. But so in the, in the cosmology, year four has to do with visionary and enchantress. And so as you've heard Christina talk about in other podcasts, uh, enchantress is the crazy logic aspect of the visionary. So the shortcut, the greater risk uh, and vulnerability requiring energy that allows us to engage with the visionary energy. And so a way to sum up the enchantress perhaps is that she is that which sings us to our death, that sort of siren like energy that helps us to discern out of all the possible vehicles for my purpose and living it in the world, what is that one vehicle in this moment based on who I am in this moment that is most calling me, that is most perfect in its ability to be a vehicle for the expression of my unique genius. And so through the year for work, that those two archetypes are both energies you begin to deepen your relationship with. And like Richard was saying, 
you reach a place where for the first time, all four or really all eight of those archetypal teachers related to the cosmology directly are online now and begin to be in relationship and move in your life in a much clearer way. They were always moving in your life to some extent, but you start to actually be able to see those patterns of engagement and also how some of the unresolved energies of the ancestors are getting in the way of those archetypes being in right relationship with each other through you. And so in terms of those patterns that get in the way, I would love if you would share, Jane, maybe if you feel comfortable doing this, an ancestral pattern that you transformed and what that experience was like for you, how that changed your life. I know you just shared one about that, that deep visceral dropping in with the elements that was possible. I'm curious anything else that you'd like to share or just elaborating more on that particular pattern. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how much you all have talked about constructs, but constructs are, are a kind of really hallmark piece of the cycle teachings that we can use for very directed, powerful and, and root level healing in our journey work. And by working with that construct in year four, it taught just the process of it taught me so much um, because I could feel my ancestral helping spirits there so clearly that construct really allows things to crystallize for me in the in journey space. And you can just feel them as these um, loving grandparent energies, you know, pulling you here and there. Oh, not there, sweetheart, over here. Um, and like teaching me things. And every time I'd use the construct in a journey, I learned something more just about how to journey. And so that process felt like I was in a process where I was directly being taught by spirit and engaged in my own process of mastery, um, which is really fulfilling in and of itself. And I just wanted to say that before um, mentioning one of the patterns uh, was simply the denial of intimacy. And so when I went, I did the healing process that we use and encountered that at the root, um, this first ancestor that had um, made a choice in his life to simply just act as if the concept of intimacy didn't exist and it wasn't real. And it was just pure denial energy. And it was so, um, you know, had a violence to it. And when, um, by, by clearing that ancestor, uh, I began to then be able to clear that pattern in my own life and, you know, as you can imagine, a pattern like that, what had very deep roots in my own belief system and uh, part of the work that we do in year four is we, um, we follow up on those root level healings with a lot of work to find and feel into and uncover the ways that we've been living those patterns in our own lives and we have a process that guides and structures and supports that uncovering and I began to find very deep belief systems that were governing the choices that were structuring my life and they were based on that pure denial energy of just intimacy isn't real 
not something I could have. And, um, not, and so I couldn't organize my life around this thing that I wanted more than anything because, you know, draw to, when you, someone drawn to shamanism like me, um, we're often drawn because we are called into deep intimacy with spirit and self and others. Um, and so it was an organizing principle of my life that was creating this constant fight, frustration, grief, and loneliness to be deeply in denial of the thing that I most longed for. So it was very freeing to begin to uh, pull that pattern out of my life. Thank you, Jane. And I'd love to hear if there's any pattern you would like to share, Richard. Sure. Um, One of the in a few ancestral journeys um, and reconciliations was a a pattern of scarcity. And, and I learned that in my younger life um, in this culture that we're raised in, that, that fear of scarcity was prevalent and, it was the main driver when I was younger for my own life of, of fear of scarcity. And what that brought around to me really was the, the, the knowing of what I call misuse of power of my own power in this time in this body. And I, it taught me that, just because this pattern is coming down my ancestral lines doesn't mean I need to continue it. So what has been taught to me is to assess my use of power and start creating abundance. And when that reality started hitting, it 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 just changed everything. It it took away the fear that was in my ancestral lines. I feel like it really helped to clear. I'm not so knowledgeable specifically of which lines, but um, in my own sense of being, as as those energy streams are coming to me, um, being more clear on my balance of power and 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 the ability that I do have to call in abundance and and live from that place of abundance both spiritually and emotionally and physically um, just changed everything it really um, brought peace and I don't think I could have found that any other way thank you yeah it's it's fascinating hearing both of you talk I'm just reminded of the the way that these ancestral patterns just feel like reality, like just the nature of reality, the air we breathe. It's so hard to see how all-encompassing and insidious they are until we heal them in the lines and, and transform them in our lives and suddenly see how much a belief that was false, that was that was based upon the experiences of an unreconciled energy has informed so much of how we show up in the world and how 
much the world changes and our experience of the world changes once that energy is no longer present. So I really appreciate you both sharing those stories. Um, another story comes to mind for me to share just that so many of my ancestral patterns uh, that, that I uncovered had to do with sort of avoidance of purpose, which is funny because that's, that's such a big focus of my life and of, of being in these teachings and of, is that focus on the soul's purpose as our soul duty and obligation. And so one of the big patterns I came up upon in my lines was this pattern of dampening the fires of purpose with a sense of duty and obligation, this idea that it's not safe to risk living our soul's purpose, we just have to stick to protecting family and those we love, but their needs are always more important than the needs of our own purpose and destiny. And this resulting in a heaviness of heart and resentment and anger and rage and sort of a closed heartedness as well that I saw in different ways at play in my own life and my relationships at that time. And also I saw very deeply in my family as well. Um, and or certain members of my family. And so it was really amazing to feel what that looked like when I got to the root of it. So going in, I didn't, you don't know the pattern you're tracking necessarily. Sometimes you do, but a lot of what we're doing at laying the bones to rest is just seeing, okay, so what are the patterns of the unresolved ancestors that are most impacting my ability to be in my true nature and live my purpose and, and bring my authenticity into the world right now. And so as I came to this pattern, how it showed up first was sort of like an ax murderer murdering his family. Um, and so some of the ancestral imagery can be very unpleasant because you're sort of looking at the, the worst decisions humanity has made in your line in a sense. And so, but what I realized is I felt into that and saw his resentment and rage for feeling like he had to avoid his own passion to protect his family that ultimately led in him killing his family, I realized that wasn't the root of the pattern. I went back even further and I got to this merchant who was making this big financial risk and investment that felt really in alignment with his destiny, he was really excited about. And then his ship got like sacked by pirates and I found him just kind of tied to a mast floating in the ocean somewhere and as, a, as an unresolved ghost. And he held this idea that I failed. I made a huge mistake risking all this money and resources in service of my vision and purpose. I should have just stayed home and protected my family. And then that snowballs down the generations. And with every generation gets worse until ultimately resulting in that ancestor who, you know, killed their family in some way. I don't know that that's a story that actually held in knowledge of my actual family but you know through looking in this work i saw that as a pattern that had happened and i saw how that showed up in my own family life growing up um with certain energies that i think a lot of uh, parents experience particularly fathers of this need to divorce themselves from their own real passion and destiny to, to care for the finances and, and well-being of their family. Um, and so as I began to change that pattern in my own life, I really had to renounce this belief that if I take risks in service of my purpose, I will die. And then I had to find what are those actual 
daily pledges I can make, those daily actions that will allow me to start moving my energy in a new way. Because I know this has really been informing my life in a big way and it's going to be hard and tricky to overcome. And so what my health experts guided me to do was, was say um, a vow that I would take a risk that my heart wants me to take in service of my soul's purpose and passion every week for 90 days. And that's a great, I think, you know, little uh, challenge for anyone to, to try out. But it was especially important for me at that time. And also stating verbally, giving my ashe, my energy to, my, to the words that my soul's purpose and passion are my true duty and obligation. And I will tend that fire. And I will check anything I do before I commit to it whether it is actually connected to my purpose or just out of a sense of duty or obligation. And that commitment completely transformed my life and actually led to me finally putting out myself into the world, making my website, you know, filming a video for that, that I couldn't have done before that ancestral pattern was cleared because that required a, a risk of resources and time and energy in service of my vision and my purpose. And to actually show up big in the world in that way required that I no longer had this pattern that told me doing that meant you would die or that you were completely letting down and failing your family and your loved ones. And so, yeah, that opened up so many other things for me in my life. And I think that's, in some way I'm still feeling, you know, four years later, the reverberations of the release from those patterns moving through my life. And so I would love to, to hear if there's anything else either of you would like to share about how you doing this deep ancestral work of year four and then the visioning work as well at Birth of the Visionary, that the second part of the year how that changed your understanding of what it means to truly vision a life and, and, and what that's been like for you engaging in that process so far. Um, first of all, I'm so glad you shared that story and it illustrates so much the, just the beauty of processes that unfold in doing this work that these powerful journey processes um, and leading to greater clarity that lead to, to input from spirit that is like tailored to us to help us actually put into to our lives what, um, what spirit is seeing. Uh, we have a longing to go toward, but don't necessarily know how to get there on ourse ourselves. Um, and those processes, just like you don't know where it's going, but there is a process and you can always trust it. Um, for myself, um, it, it worked. Um, by the end of year four, we, we dance and we feel in the bo our bodies the vision of why we're here. And I couldn't feel or see uh, details or specifics or go here, do this, but I could feel the vision of my life as an energy that I knew was real in my body. And 
I knew I could track it and I knew I would never lose it. And I knew that it would need a lot of refining and feeling into and connection, but it was there and I could feel it clearly. I remember later that year, uh, continuing to work with vision. Um, I had, I, I decided to, to treat the, my PhD dissertation as a shamanic process. And I called in the vision of my dissertation, this energetic seed from, from the earth, from spirit, from the dreaming. And I called it in to come into my body that I could feel it and could manifest it and could write it and could speak it into the world. And it worked. I could feel it as a seed of energy in my body. And it's not that it then happened overnight or somehow was like this, you know, thing that was like boringly easy or something like that. But it was an incredible gift to be able to co-work with spirit in that way. And just like way more fun to get to have this uh, this seed that was mine and I got to experience what it feels like to have a vision in my body that, that is there teaching me and changing me. And that as I wrote and thought and walked and dreamed with that vision, I could feel it teaching me and moving up in me. And it was this reciprocal process. And that's how I, I've come to really see working with vision as um as a process that's deeply reciprocal, where the vision that comes into my body teaches me, it brings me to healing experiences, it shows me the things that I'm longing to learn as a soul, and then it gives me the opportunity to share that vision in the world that, that what I have learned may, may be shared. Um, and it feels like, um, it, it feels working with vision to me feels so deeply personal and feels very, it feels very tender that, that I'm working with spirit on something that is just close to me, that matters to me. Um, and, and tender also, and that's always pushing me to grow more. Um, yeah, I think I'll leave it there. Thanks. Thank you, Jane. And so Richard, um, how did your sense of what it is to vision a life change? I think the biggest thing that uh, um, wholesale change was it brought the intangible into tangible, meaning that in this Western culture, we're trained to use our mind and not that the mind isn't important, but it, it shouldn't be the, um, the leader. And through, through the, the BOV workshop, the dream tool and, and dreaming or journeying the power object in for a friend and having a friend dream that or journey that into me brought that into reality. It's tangible. Um, 
the power object and the dream tool that came out of that for me are real. They make things happen in real time. It's like the air. You, you can't see it, but you have to believe in it. And it's there to, to fortify you. It's just like spirit. You can't see it, but it's there. And, and it will fortify you if you engage with it. And and all of this, the four years have worked up to this point, but coming out of Birth of Visionary, it, it brought it into a higher reality than my physical realm and a more important reality because that's the one I really need to tend. I mean, as well as my physical reality, but... But certainly the the connection to spirit and the ancestral lines and keeping me in balance in my own visioning and dreaming and manifesting is the most, most important task so that I can create those in the physical realm. And I can't even imagine how anything else could have brought me there. Thank you. And so... I wanted to end, I think, just with saying that, you know, the more that I do ancestral healing work on myself with clients, the more I see how deeply the cultural troubles that we're experiencing as a people, as humanity in this world at this time, are so deeply rooted so often in the unresolved energies of the dead. Um, it's not said that's the root of all problems because, of course, we have unique challenges of our time to solve right now. But so many, I think even without a framework of ancestors, you see how things that we thought were dead, things that we thought were vanquished, return if they're not truly addressed on this level of working with the unresolved energy of the ancestors. And we see the rise of so many problems from the past coming back in new forms that some, in some ways seem even more toxic and insidious in their old forms. And so I really encourage you that if you feel moved by what's happening in the world right now, you consider entering into a process that allows you to deeply engage with how we carry these cultural stories in ourselves, but then also how they are carried by the energy of our unresolved ancestors and, and, ways of truly uprooting those patterns so we can no longer be agents of those cultural troubles, but actually agents of a solution. And so if you're interested in entering the cycle, the first retreat of the program is starting in June, from June 2nd to 7th at El Rancho Robles in Oracle, Arizona. You can find all the registration information on the homepage of lastmaskcenter.org. And ignore the calendar if you look there, because I think some of the dates on there are outdated currently. The website is being updated, but the homepage has all the accurate dates and registration information and emails. So you can find it all right there if you just scroll down to where it says Masks of Illusion and the Authentic Self. And so... Thank you so much for joining me, Richard and Jane. It was such a pleasure to talk with you and, and have you here. 
Thank you, Langston and Richard. What a delight to talk with you both. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And yeah, welcome and welcome to the world of the ancestors. And my thanks to you, Langston and Jane. It was a joy to speak with you and and to whomever else is listening. And as it's been said, join up, please. So we thank our luminous, well, good, true, and beautiful ancestors for their dreaming. We thank the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Next week, we'll be talking about dismantling the false self, the optional year five of the teachings in which we fully dismantle the false self we created as a child to survive and talking with some students who have undergone that process. So I hope you'll join us again. Have a great week.